listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Feels so good to be back. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, back in, the saddle. <laughs> back in it. Yes, I got the leather of the saddle all oiled up. Back on the Sibian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a strange looking saddle you got there, Sammy. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I am back, and it is good to be back. And uh, we got movies, we got coffee, we got cereals, we got a little bit of uh, morning hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> we are back to record the GGTMC. So, welcome everybody. This week we are doing one of our Kickstarter shows. Uh, this one's programmed by Emily. It's a one film show and some feedback. Um, Emily picked uh, Don McKellar's Last Night from, I think, uh, 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canadian film, uh, into the world type thing. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more here later. Um,. But yeah, that's that's it. I've been off for two weeks, and uh, it's it's good to be back. So I'm, I'm happy to be back, and I'm hoping everybody's out there safe. We've had a crazy week in the world lately, crazy week personal personally uh, for me, and uh, yeah, I'm just glad everybody's doing all right. So with that out of the way, let's uh, get into what we've been watching. All right, uh, and I'm glad you did save the rec center in the time you were off with yes. that breakdance competition. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> There was this, there was this was one weird dude though in the background. I swear this guy's going to be an action star though. <laughs> was he wearing a singlet? <laughs> Oddly enough, Fist, he was. Fist pumping of all things. <laughs> um, I had a good week. Um, so the week off, my wife had the foresight to tape um, one of the, the the cartoon channels here has a. a like nighttime on Fridays, I guess they have animated DC movies. Oh, yes. So she had taped The Dark Knight Returns, part one. Oh, yeah. For me and the boys. She didn't really know what subject matter it was, and I you know, can't fault her for that. It's on the Cartoon Network, and it's a Batman cartoon. So she wouldn't have thought maybe that it would have been a little bit mature for the boys. So I watched it, and this was my first of the DC animated films, um, or the Marvel, just comic book animated films of this kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it was in HD, and man, I fucking loved it. Yeah, everybody loves that one. I haven't watched it loved yet. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, uh, but I, I'm going to be curious to check it out. I know it's a very mature take, obviously. Uh, well, not very mature, but more mature than, mm. uh, than on most of the other DC stuff. So. I mean, I would say like, a, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying that compared to the other DC stuff, it's, you know, it is very mature compared to that. So, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, Robin's a girl in it and it's, um, it's fantastic. And I can't wait for, I actually got chills at the end of it because there's a reveal as to who the villain's going to be in, um, part two. Yeah. I know a lot of people, uh, on the internet, I don't know about a lot of people, but, uh, quite a bit of you know, miso check-ins and things like that that I saw. 
Uh, we're saying it's the the best adaptation of the uh, the Dark Knight uh, Returns they've yeah. seen. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't got a chance. I'm going to watch both of them back to back when I get a chance. They'll do the epic. I would have if I if I had the second one in my dirty hands, but <laughs> you know I didn't. But you know, very good, and it you know very good. Um, nice. The kids went to bed. The wife it was the wife's pick, so she chose Premium Rush, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, oh. Michael Shannon. Is that good? Yeah, you know, it's worth a watch. It's not earth-shattering. I would have been upset if I paid to see it in theaters. There's some things that annoy me. Some of the kind of, um, some of the, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character stuff feels a bit forced, for you know, rebel for the sake of rebel kind of forced. And oh, okay. some of the, the kind of, the dialogue that his character has uh, towards authority and Michael Shannon's character is a bit lame, but... Um, <laughs> it's 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 a good little film. Uh, they utilize, like... Um, not Google Maps, maybe it's Bing Maps. I don't know, but they, it, they, I think they utilize whoever um, sponsored um, the film. <laughs> yeah, whoever. So I think I'm pretty sure it was Bing. <laughs> uh, but I think they uh, they utilize things from today that you know you wouldn't have seen ten years ago. But I got to give it up to the stunt guys in this film. I mean, there's guys getting hit, weaving in and out of cars on bicycles. Um, getting hit by cars, you know, a, a reduced speed, but even still, I mean, they're taking bumps. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's predictable, but, uh, it, you know, I think it's, I got to give it credit too, because it's original. I mean, this it's a movie, sort of a, a thriller with bike couriers. Um, so, you know, kudos to it for being original. It's not going to set the world on fire. It's not going to be top 30 material, but it was a solid rental and something different. And I like the leads. So, and the, the uh, the girl in it, I think she she was uh, mulatto. I mean, she was quite uh, quite hot. Nice. So yeah. Um, then we watched it. Then it was my turn to pick, and I picked a Danish film that I'd been circling around for a couple of years since since TIFF. I want to say it won. Oh, did it win the Audience Award? I can't remember, but um, I think it might have won the Foreign Film Oscar. Uh, it's called In a Better Place. Mm-hmm. Directed by Susan Beer or Beyer, I want to say it's Beer, probably Beer. Uh, she's a Danish filmmaker. Um, so I think she is. I was talking to, I think it was Bill Thompson on our group about it. He said he's a fan of hers, and I said, oh, I, I can't recall seeing any of her work, but I have seen probably three or four of her films. Um, she's worked in America a bit. She did Things We Lost in the Fire, which I think is an underrated. Oh yeah, yeah. An underrated drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit of a fucking downer to say the least, but yes, <laughs> it's a it's a good film with probably my favorite Halle Berry performance, and I don't really care for her usually. Yeah. Not, to say, not to say I dislike her, but I think she gets overrated a bit. Um, I'd seen that. I'd seen her version of Brothers, which is the Danish version of the Tobey Maguire. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Hall film. Mm-hmm. She the original one. So she's, you know, when people talk about really good female directors, they don't mention her. And I think it's a shame because looking back at her body of work, she's a very, very good filmmaker. And this film was very good. Nice, nice. My wife really liked it too, which usually when I, I try to lure her in with the line, uh, I think you might actually like this one. <laughs> <laughs> usually she doesn't actually like it. So, but she did. She was on the edge of her seat. Um, Decided to switch gears uh, and watch a film that had very little in common with In a Better Place, although I was in a better place uh, <laughs> by watching it, and that was College Kickboxers. Yes. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, like I said, the title alone is an eight. <laughs> oh, God, what a film, man. It's uh, 
It's on YouTube in its entirety. Mm. It's incredible, man. It's uh, it's what? just what you would expect from a film called College Kickboxers. We might have to move that up the queue. I think we got a couple Kickstarter requests that are wide open. Uh, we pick. We might have to move that up the queue a little bit. Oh man, I'm telling you. I was telling uh, some people when I watched it. I know Carl Breston's a big fan. We'll hear from him soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead villain in it is as if if. Um, <laughs> William Zab, because Billy character from uh, from Karate Kid, and the David Patrick Kelly Luther character from Warriors had a really racist baby. <laughs> this <laughs> that decided to go over the top all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, then this would be this villain would be their love child. So it's it's pretty great, man. And there's actually some legitimately good martial arts in it because one of the guys, and I think his name is. Um, Tang Tak Wing or Tak Ting Wing. He uh, he worked in uh, Hong Kong a lot with Jackie Chan, and there's some legit martial arts in it. And they, even the lead guy, even though he's a bit of a Sam J. Jones kind of vanilla type, he he can handle his business too. So um, yeah, college kickboxers is fucking awesome. It's just a notch below Pantheon. It's probably like uh, like Intercontinental Champ material. Nice, nice. Well, that's still good. That's good company. It is good company, man. Uh, went back to the animated films. It was my pick for movie night, and I, I was gonna watch um, part two of, of, of Batman, uh, Batman Retur- Dark Knight Returns, but I couldn't get it. It wasn't on instant, so we decided to watch Batman Year One. Oh yeah, okay. Okay, have you seen this one? I haven't seen that one yet either. No. Okay, it's very good, but it's definitely more mature than I was totally comfortable <laughs> with my kids watching. Now they watched it all, but. There's a scene when Batman goes into the red light district of Gotham uh, and he yes. punches out a pimp. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I explain to my kids <laughs> about, and they're saying, why is that woman now hitting Batman? And how do I explain the relationship between a pimp and a hooker <laughs> to my kids who are four and two? So, you know, there's a few cuss words. Um, like I said, it was a little mature for them, uh, you know, but. You know, at that age, I was watching Creep Show and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I thought, well, if it gets too bad, like there's no uh, real graphic violence, like you know, uh, viscera or anything. So yeah, you know what I always tell my wife. You know, it's you got to be careful. But the reality yeah. is, times have changed, mm-hmm. but boys have not. That's right. So <laughs> you know, you can uh, you can avoid it as long as you want to and stuff, and, you, and good for you for trying. You know, and and do what you got to do as a parent. But the reality is. As, as I always tell my wife, the reality is sooner or later, you, you can't escape no. uh, the things you want to try to keep away from a child. I mean, especially no. a boy. I mean, just, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's not like I'm showing them Michael Haneke films or, uh, you know, there, there's certainly a line. But I think it's something like this. Would it be better if they were 10, 11, 12? Probably. Probably, yeah. But in saying that, it's still for boys. And like you said, boys will be boys. And it's a Batman character. And I think... There's something to be said for being able to contextualize what they're seeing on screen in the framework of something that they like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ex- explaining in, in simple terms some of the things they're seeing um, might be easier when there's a context for them. So uh, It's a good point. It's, I mean, one of the reasons why I love comics, and I loved comics growing up, comic characters, was it gave me uh, adult themes in a, in a world I could understand. That's kid. just it, exactly. And uh, not you know not like not like true adult themes like we, no. you think of, but close enough that you know I wasn't overwhelmed by the time I got old enough to watch the other stuff. So that's right, that's right. Yeah, 
it's um yeah so i think we're going to continue with some stuff that's maybe a little tamer but i mean i gotta show them dark knight returns part two because they're chomping at the bit because they know even they know who the villain is and they went kind of bananas when the reveal at the end came up so you know but after that I'll try to keep it a bit lighter if I can, but you know, we'll see. I mean, as long as I'm there to watch them and they're not watching, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not watching, uh, you know, what's that one we did, Night Train Terror or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you Mur- know, as long as they're not watching that murder set pieces or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with it then, as long as I'm not watching stuff like that. Um, decided to get one of my big, big, big blind spots out of the way that was on my the five films I want to see this year, um, like New Year's Resolution list, and it was uh, the first film in the Apu trilogy, Panther Pachali. Oh, yeah. Panchali. Really fantastic film. It feels, you know, 1955 Indian film. Uh, I think it's Satyajit Ray, something to that effect. Um, I meant to see this forever, man, and uh, finally saw the first one. It's very, 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 very good. It feels very Italian neorealist. Mm-hmm. Um, at times it feels like, like Spanish surrealist, despite being neo-realist for most of the film. Some of the stuff with the kids playing, um, it's a bit feverish. Uh, some of the lighting feels very sort of German. Um, it's very well edited. There's a few amazing shots in the film. Um, it's a really ahead of its time. I think deserving of its reputation. It, you know, it looks at a family in rural India uh, in the fifties. And it's, it's, uh, I think if you like, you know, stuff by, uh, Vittorio De Sica, you know, the stuff in that Neil realist bag, you, you should dig this. And it, it's quite a good film. And I'm definitely going to see the other two in the, in the trilogy. And I think the way the film ends is pretty brave for a film of it's like 60 years old. I do like me some De Sica. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. I've only seen a couple, but the ones I've saw really impacted me. Yeah. Uh, then, they're probably uh, the same ones I've seen too. <laughs> I think it's the shoe shine and uh, and yeah. bicycle thief, of course. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to see more, it's like if you're a film fan, if you haven't seen Bicycle Thief, I mean, you know, put well, it on, that was yeah. <laughs> put it on your list of shame because really, yeah. you should see it uh, to see Italy post war, immediate post war. Yeah, is is something pretty astounding. Yeah, um, I'm with you, and that was yeah, that was one of few years ago. It's like. I have to see this. This film was always talked about as yeah. you know one of the most important films of all time. So I, I you know hunkered down and watched it. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, between three and four years ago ish. Yeah, I remember. So you talking about yeah. it a little bit? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, then I had a little bit of time. I was too tired to watch like a, a two hour movie, so I did a, a one hour documentary, a thirty for thirty. I did straight out of L- straight out. I should. Oh, I sounded white when I said that. I did straight out of L.A. Oh yeah. <laughs> the LA Raiders one directed by uh, Ice Cube. I had, um, I had some issues with this one, so I want to see if you had the same issues. Okay, I liked it, yeah. but <laughs> it's not one of the best ones I've seen. Um, I feel like Ice Cube, I like Ice Cube. I do too. And I love NWA, and I love hip-hop of that time because it's what I grew up with, but I feel like he pulls... I think he he almost uses the Raiders as a framework to to not overstate NWA's importance, but I think he lost focus that it's supposed to be more about um, the Raiders than it is about NWA. Like I feel like he he doesn't balance that out well enough. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's no balance if you ask me, and it it almost feels a little bit. <sighs> 
Yeah, it feels a little bit because of that. Because of that non-balance, it feels a little bit more like almost like a glad-handed, like a glad hand project. Yeah, I agree. It's a self-congratulatory kind of um, thing. Because let's face it, there's a there's a conflict of interest. The director of this was in the group that he's fe- featuring in the, the documentary. Yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like if I made a documentary about the show. <laughs> And I, That's right. <laughs> and I just brought to light all the influences we had on everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? what you know, come on. You know, uh, but, but, you know, overall, I like the story of the thing. I just felt like it was a little bit too much of that. And it feels, yeah, it, it's, um, I feel like it's a bit of a reach when, you know, him and Snoop are saying how rap music influenced the Raiders. Uh, not really. I mean, the Raiders gear was huge. I mean, I lived in the time when the Raiders and Bulls starter jackets, like the the hooded ones, were. I mean, they were they were the thing, man. You know, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I remember that. Oh yeah, but but like I said, not to diminish it because I I did think it was very good, but I just felt like you know maybe in the hands of a more a director who had who was not as intimately involved with the material, mm-hmm. there could have been more of a balance about the Raiders because ultimately this is about sports versus pop culture or music right so but uh, you know that's how it goes still good still worth an hour of your time and uh, in preparation for next week's massive show uh which i'll we'll talk about at the end of our episode i decided to revisit no retreat no surrender 2 nice cynthia rothrock lauren avedon max thayer um it's uh it holds up really well man there's some really great stuff in it really great martial arts some really great stunt work um max thayer is amazing in it as sort of the old dude wearing a hawaiian shirt sidekick yeah. <laughs> he brings a very um tom atkins-esque charisma so nice yeah it's 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 a lot of fun it's a lot of fun i'm gonna also do part three as well as um fighting spirit which is a lauren avedon sean donahue Team up film, Ooh. yeah. So that's on YouTube in its entirety as well as was the North Chino Surrender two and three. So yeah, YouTube is a treasure trove for some of these uh, l- low budget, yeah, action films from the past. So oh yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one again. I haven't seen that film in a long time, but I like all three of the No, no Retreat, No Surrenders. Fuck yeah! Uh, but that's that was my week. I, I had a really good sort of diverse week. I was happy with it. What to, what have you been watching, my friend? We haven't heard. Or what the Sammy's been watching lately? Yeah, I, I haven't watched as much as you would think in two weeks because I've been so busy, and then you know, had some stuff go on. Stuff, uh, you know, for those who don't know, lost one of my dogs, and it was terrible. And that's unfortunately that's the the deal you make when you decide to take a dog on, as you know, sooner or later they're they, you know they're going to pass. So, so you know that kind of killed the momentum to want to watch anything for a little while. But you know, I did get a few things in that was pretty good. Uh, I watched Killing Them Softly. I watched that finally. Um, oh, very interesting what you say about this. Yeah, I, I remember you watched it. Uh, I remember you saying, I think you, I think you said you liked it, but I don't, I don't, uh, I'm pretty positive. It, was it on your top 30? I don't think uh, it was. It was not. It probably would have been in like a top 40. I liked it, but I felt like, okay, I get it. You know, the, the gray market uh, or the illicit business world is just like us that they have fears about the economy and i just feel like the political stuff and the voiceovers were were overt and heavy-handed and and took away um from the film even though i liked um i liked all the lead performances yeah yeah all all the performances are pretty good um some of them a little bizarre but they're all pretty good uh (laughs) 
Yeah, I really did like. I I, I wanted. To, I would like to have more scenes between Pitt and Gandolfini. They were really great together. Um, no, I like the film quite a bit. It is definitely an example of uh, like fetish violence, though. Yes, it has the longest, the longest, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just you know saying it's the longest assassination I've ever seen in a car. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it is true fetish uh, fetishism at its uh, at its height. I can understand people not digging it. I dug it quite a bit. Um, don't know where it'll stand as far as next year goes, but uh, you know I do love these films where people talk in cars and things like that. So, would it have made your top thirty this year? Uh, too hard to say. I mean, I'm thinking about everything that was on my top thirty. Mm-hmm. It, it might have been. I might have fallen right where you fell. I might have fallen like it might have been like a top forty type thing. Definitely right. good. Definitely good. I mean, oh no, yeah, worth your time. Yeah. And, and it's nice and short too. And it's just you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I then watched the Born Legacy. This is the Jeremy Renner Born film. Um, I gotta say this one, uh, even though it does look good and it's got some pretty good action pieces and everything else, that I just found myself overall not really. I mean, it's like a six. I mean, it's, not, it's I just didn't really get into this one, and I don't know if it's because of lack of Matt Damon because it's the same type of style, the same type of you know dynamic and stuff. And I see what they're trying to do, but for some strange reason, and it's not Renner. Renner was fine in the film. I don't know. It just didn't really, uh, you know. You got Ed, you got Jimmy Renner, you got uh, Ed Norton. I mean, you know, it's 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 well acted. It's just, uh, I don't know. It just didn't really work for me for some reason. Maybe I need to rewatch it. But left you a bit cold, I guess. Yeah, literally, it did. I mean, I just, uh, which is funny when you say that because I think like the first twenty or thirty minutes is like set in like Alaska. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, that's why I kind of laughed. Um, but you know okay but uh you know if you're not really into the Bourne films i wouldn't watch this one and if you are into the Bourne films i'd stick to the other three so there you go uh i then watched room 237 the uh, oh. shining documentary <laughs> kind of paranoid uh <laughs> craziness that is and this film some i can see where some don't like it because it kind of could alter your views of the shining uh i can see where some don't like it because it's all bullshit I could see where some love it because they think it's all true. The important thing I think for me with Room 237 is that you have these people that are obsessed with this film. And I think that's the most interesting piece about it. I love when you get people who are obsessed with one film and they just want to talk about this film over and over and over again or a filmmaker or anything because, you know, I'm an obsessive film fan. So, uh, and I'm also obsessed with Stanley Kubrick. Uh, a lot of the stuff I already knew, but there's a lot of stuff in here that I did not know, uh, which I will not spoil here, obviously, uh, that's pretty interesting. Whether it's true or not, whether any of it's true or not, I cannot see how you could not be entertained by the thought process of these individuals that think this way. Uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And uh, it's not going to harm my viewing of The Shining one better, one way or another. It, it would never affect that, but I definitely recommend it. It's one of my favorite films I've seen so far this year. So Then I am in it to win it i'm back on track i mean you and higgins rep for it it's good enough for me yeah yeah it's it's, it's really interesting stuff I, I can't wait for you to see it and we'll talk about it some more um i then watched uh let there be light the odyssey of dark star this is the documentary on the making of dark dark oh, star yeah. the uh two-hour documentary so wow. it's on the blu-ray disc of uh dark star um Dark Star is an interesting film. It's a student film, and it's a bizarre film uh, directed by John Carpenter, written by Ed O'Bannon, 
Ed O'Bannon? Yeah, I think it's it. <laughs> I hope I'm saying his name right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I was thinking of Rocky, a Rocky, Rocky O'Bannon or whatever. He's a TV producer or whatever. Oh, wait. Hang on. Ed O'Bannon. Isn't Ed O'Bannon the UCLA basketball <laughs> yeah, he star? Is. Who am I thinking of? Dan O'Bannon. There we Dan go. Dan O'Bannon. There we go. Fuck, these O'Bannons. <laughs> Ed O'Bannon was the UCLA basketball star. Good, good pull, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back on track with our day. If this is your first show, yeah, that's what kind of movie fans we are. Ed O'Bannon <laughs> directed this. No. But uh, it is interesting. I've always liked the story of Dark Star because um, I've always known, and it's always been known, that Ban- O'Bannon and uh, Carpenter were really tight at one point, And somewhere along the way, they just really parted ways. And uh, neither one of them would really talk about it the other. Now, O'Bannon's gone now, and uh, in this film, his wife talks a little bit about uh, Carpenter, and I won't say anything or spoil anything for anybody, but, you know, between this and the book Shock Value, uh, you get a little bit more of what actually kind of took place behind the scenes, and it does kind of paint John Carpenter in a different light, I'll say that. Is, hmm, that's interesting, very, very, I'm going to, I keep meaning to pick up this disc. Um, yeah, it's, it's I'm, ultra cause cheap. Because this is on there, right? This yeah, uh, document, yeah. I would assume? Yeah, it's ultra cheap, too. Is it too late to make a Taya Sedney joke? <laughs> I was trying to fit one in, but... You have 2.3 seconds to drive down the court. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well played, my friend. To go coast to coast. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> I then uh, changed gears. Uh, I wanted to watch something kind of just touching and stuff. Like I said, my dog passed away, and I'm a dog person. So I watched The Way, which is the Emilio Estevez-directed film with Martin Sheen. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Where he's walking the, uh, the, the uh, I don't know what they call it, but the Camino Road or whatever in Spain, this 500-kilometer walk, pilgrimage walk. He did it for his son, right? Yeah, he did it for his son. Right. And um, it, this this film is, is flawed, certainly. Uh, some strange comedy beats and things like that, but... A father-son story like this—it's—it's it's pretty emotional. It's a pretty—it's a pretty emotional film, and uh, I dug it. Martin Sheen is very good in the film. Martin Sheen's one of those actors who, you know, he—he's always good, and, and sometimes great. Oh, and, I agree. Yeah, he, he's made some bad films in his day, but uh, I mean, he—he <laughs> he is a good actor, no doubt about it, and uh, he is good in this film. Uh, but there are some strange things in it and some strange ideas. But I know Higgins was a fan of this, and I remember. He watched it and wondered why nobody else had watched it. And it was one of those ones that was kind of floating around that I wanted to watch, but never got to. So I tried to get to it and finally did. I recommend it. I do recommend it. I recommend checking it out. Uh, it's pretty good. I think it's on Instant, right? Yeah, it's on Instant. Yep. Yeah, I, I almost watched it a couple times um, and I didn't. I just felt like I had to. Is it is it a weepy one, would you say? No, I wouldn't say weepy. Okay, good. Because I was a bit worried. Oh, you know. <laughs> No, it's not weepy. I don't think it's that. Uh, I mean, there's moments that got me a little bit because of the father-son dynamic. Yeah, yeah. But um, ultimately, I think it's just a, a kind of a good story. Um, like I say, though, it, I, I, I do give you a warning. It is a little flawed, I think. Uh, there's, there are some things that, you know, if I was to critically talk about it, I'd say, you know, what the hell are you doing here? So, Right. Not perfect, but, you know, Emilio Estevez turned into a bit of a filmmaker. I like it. Oh, good. You know, that's good. Uh I always liked him. I felt like they tried to make him in Hollywood, tried to make him something he necessarily wasn't. Mm-hmm. But early on, he, he had some pretty good range, man. Like Repo Man, he's great in. And um, the one we did, uh, Stakeout, he was he was fun in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, even as, uh, what was his name? Not Ronald. At the uh, 
the jock, even though he's like five foot four or something. Yeah. The jock in uh, Breakfast, <laughs> Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah. yeah, you know, he was good early on in his career. But yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. He and and one of those crazy things: the older he gets, the more he looks like he looks his like dad. It. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> he is really starting to look like his dad. And when I, I remember when the Sheens first hit the scene, uh, the you know the younger ones. Just I'm being about, clean. Yeah, I'm talking about Charlie and uh, Emilio. I remember thinking. Man, Charlie really looks like his dad. He's going to have a hard time really breaking free of that. Well, Charlie still looks like Charlie, who looks like his dad. But, man, Emilio really looks like his dad at this point. <laughs> There's times when I see young Martin now or older uh, Emilio, and it's like, holy fuck, yeah, you really see the resemblance. Yeah, you really do. And, of course, every time I see Martin, I always think of his brother, Joe. So, <laughs> <laughs> And all the bad films I've seen Joe Estevez in. Oh yeah. So, but uh, then I switched gears again. Watched another. Uh, I guess it's emotional, but it was a sports movie. You know, Kurt Russell played a coach in it. I thought, you know, I remember it coming out, and I remember nobody talked about it. But you know, Kurt Russell's one of, the, in my opinion, one of the great movie stars. Mm-hmm. And I love him, and I'll watch anything he does. I don't care how shitty it could be or anything. I just think Kurt Russell's one of those naturally great movie stars on screen, and yeah. he he is great in this. He's great in this as well. The film. It's good. It's not great, but it's it's interesting. It's one of these uh, what if type stories, you know. If you know what if this would have happened, what if that would have happened type story. So there's nothing original, um, but it is fun, and it's got you know football as a background and life as a background and stuff. And I got caught up in it quite a bit, so I, I would recommend checking it out. Was I, it based on a true story, like a, no, no. like a, a loosely the framework was a, a possible true story, or was it totally fictional? I, I, I would say, no, it doesn't say it's based on true story at all or any true story, but I would say that this story happens almost all the time with with football and with young dreams and things like that. So there's, like I say, there's nothing original. I don't want to give anything away. But, well, but essentially the plot of the story is what if you had a chance to go back and change, you know, something that happened in your life? You know, I mean, you got a central character who wanted to be a superstar. And uh, unfortunately, you know, something happened so but but interesting interesting uh, and i th- i think i think actually you'd like it i don't think you'd love it but i think you'd like it so if you get around to it at some point check it out oh, yeah well my wife sounds like she would like it she likes the the sports dramas actually the you know she's really into them yeah, it's, so. well it's got a good family story too so oh good yeah it's, it's a pretty clean film too it's probably it's, it's almost like it almost feels like the rookie or something sort of mm-hmm. not not that kind of emotional you know rookies like one man against the world type thing but it's it does have that kind of feel to it, almost like a like an old school braided G film in a way. Uh, I then watched uh, Sleuth, which is the '72 film directed by Joe Mankiewicz, uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, his last film, I believe, and uh, starring Michael Caine and Sir Lawrence Olivier. Olivier. Uh, I've always enjoyed this film. Uh, I, it was on TCM uh, HD. I wanted to watch it. the The print is still not good, even in HD. It's crazy this film has never really been remastered or anything because it's kind of known in circles as this really kind of great toe-to-toe between Kane and Olivier. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really the, the gist of this film. It's not really a great film. It's it's more like because The Sleuth was a play, mm-hmm. and it's more film like that, like a play. But it is really, really fun to watch Kane and Olivier go back and forth. Well, yeah. didn't they remake it with Kane now in the Olivier role and Jude Law in the Kane role? Yeah, I believe so, and uh, Bryn told me to check that out. We had a, lot, a lot of Higgins recommendation. Recommend, I, mean, I, I must be stalking this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Room 237, The Way, and Sleuth. 
you start wearing a newsboy hat, I'll wonder what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy, yeah, he can't uh, he can't button his shirt up all the way. <laughs> Not that we're complaining. Yeah. No, but uh, the uh, it is a good film. Uh, definitely a recommend for me, especially if you just like watching good acting. It's one of those ones where I just wanted to watch something that, you know, to see some good acting, and, and man, those two really bring it. And speaking of good acting, the last film I watched outside of the film for the show was Lincoln. Now, I watched Lincoln because it came in the mail. I told you, and I, I may have told a few others, this was not a film I was pursuing to watch because here in Kentucky, Lincoln is a huge part. I mean, he literally was born like 30 miles from where I'm sitting right now. So he he is a big deal here. So my whole life has been in some way, shape, or form uh, centered around Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people in Kentucky and most people in Indiana and this area, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois area, Lincoln is a big part of your life and a big part of what you learn in school. And uh, so, you know, I knew what the story was about. I wasn't really super interested in it. But, man, I got to tell you, this film works, and it works because of the performances. There's no directorial flourishes, nothing like that. This is actually a very much like a 70s film. It's very much like a chamber piece because there's not a lot of uh, stuff outside of sets. It's mostly shot indoors, and it's mostly shot on sets. And uh, I didn't think it'd be riveting. I thought Tommy Lee Jones would be comical. He even mentions his bad wig in the film. Is uh, Yeah, I was going to ask how Abel Ferrara in a pirate shirt was. <laughs> He's really good, man. Tommy Lee Jones is really fucking good in this. Yeah, he is. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, just forget about it. There is no actor right now that comes anywhere near what this guy can do. I would agree with that. This is the best performance I have seen since There Will Be Blood. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, uh, I think there's maybe four or five that, you know, on a given day could keep up with them. But yeah, I, I don't know that, I don't think there's a, a more talented actor in the world than him. Yeah, this performance is insane. I mean, it's just, it's one of those where you're just like, holy shit, I cannot believe he pulled this off. Yeah. I mean, he totally makes you believe he is Lincoln. Uh, from his, he does some physical stuff. He does, you know, obviously he looks the part. It's just very interesting, all the little character things. And I was just mesmerized by him. So if you want to see really great acting, you know, definitely recommend Lincoln. Of course, if you just don't want to watch the film, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that past anybody either because really it's just basically a a political, you know, there's, there's some family-oriented stuff and some things like that. There's some moments where Sally Field's a bit heavy-handed, I think, but she's still good in the film. Um but all the acting's good. David Strathern, um, you name it. There's a ton of people in this. Tim Blake Nelson, uh, James Spader's good in the film. He looks like Loaf. He looks like Loaf in the film. Nice. Got the handlebar mustache going on. <laughs> I was thinking of Loaf the whole time. I was like, if I wasn't watching this on Blu-ray, I'd screen cap this shit. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. At this point, for Loaf, you don't even have to tag anything. Everybody just tags it for you. Yeah, that's right. You put a picture <laughs> up of a mustache. Yeah. And <laughs> that that comment you made, like everybody else moves around, but Loaf always gets tagged as the cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good film, man. Uh, it is a recommend. But I know you how you feel about Spielberg. But uh, if you like acting, I'm, I'm, which I do, I'm sure you'll uh, check it out at some point. It's pretty pretty solid. And yeah, and there's some great. I didn't even know the payoff with uh, Jones's character. I don't know why I didn't. I should have probably, but uh, it was really, really put a smile on my face. Really did. Good. Uh, and the film did overall. It really did. So this would have made your top 30 then. Uh, 
maybe higher than killing them softly, but I don't know if it would have gotten in there or not. It would just would have been on just just on the outside looking in there, yeah. by. Yeah, but I, I don't know, you know. I, don't, I just don't know because, I mean, the acting is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film, Like I say, the film, it doesn't have the usual Spielberg flourishes um, or some of the stuff that he likes to do, you know what I mean? It, it just feels like a 70s film. It's funny, I watched that film and the Killing Them Softly are very 70s. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways because there's just a lot of conversations. But, um, yeah, it's very interesting, very interesting stuff. All right, that's all I've watched. Um, yeah, got the... Uh, some other stuff lined up to watch this week. Hopefully, I'll get to it, but we'll see. I definitely got to watch the, some Avedon this week. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a short break, come back, and talk about Last Night, directed by Don McKellar. We'll be back right after this. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else do you need? And the odd. I've That's seen so bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www. The good, the bad, and the odd.com. When they come to hear the shotgun sing, it shines just like a diamond ring. Can't wait to see what now we get. The wind hits hard with the losers left. Welcome back. Little Masters of Reality this morning. Little Shotgun Sun. Nice. like that, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. One of my favorite bands, by the way, Masters of Reality. So check those guys out. Oot. Uh, <laughs> all right. We are back. Uh, we're going to talk a little Don McKellar and last night. Um, let me play Emily's. Do you think, I wonder if we should play Emily's voicemail later or before, you know what? Before, we'll before you want to play it before. Okay. We'll play. I it think right. it's, I think it's going to explain. Yeah. Why she picked it. And... All right. Let's go ahead and play it uh, right now. And then I'll synopsize. Here we go. Let me get it. Queued up. Hey, Jens, it's Emily. It's, it's been a long time, um, but I was calling in because today you are finally covering one of my favorite films last night. Um, so why did I pick it for you for the Kickstarter? A few reasons. One, um, I love end-of-the-world films, as I think a lot of us do, but I had never heard of it. So to me, it's kind of not obscure, but it, it's not that well-known. Um, I found out about it from our, our mutual friend, Shiftless, who recommended it. Um, so there was that. I, I, it's one of those movies that I recommend to everybody, and I always want more people to see it, so more people to talk about it, and I can feel responsible for helping the world see a good movie. Um, uh-huh. Another reason, it's, like I said, an end-of-the-world movie. But it has, there's something about the spirit of it that's just, I find, really effective and touching. 
Um, first time I watched it, I just really liked it. Uh, and then I've since watched it maybe two more times. And just kind of every time I watch it, I kind of watch it for a different character and for a different thread. And I don't know that I get something new, but I think it just constantly feels deeper and more human every time I watch it, I guess. Um, so the more times people watch it, that's good. Uh, other reasons, it has a kick-ass cast. Um, you have David Cronenberg eating ice cream, like in the movie. Um, <laughs> and somehow it's still kind of creepy. I don't know why. He plays a really nice guy, but still. Um, there's so many great performances in it. Uh, even just little one-off scenes that are just, again, I just find really touching and effective. Um, Sandra Oh, I think, is wonderful in it. Um, there's a pacer, which whenever my family sees an AMC pacer in a movie, it's kind of reason to celebrate, so there's that. Um, and it's very Canadian. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that feels yeah. more Canadian. Like, every single person, if you think of Canada, the only thing that's missing is John Candy, and that's just because he was dead by the time it came out. Um, but that's, I guess, what I have. Um, it's one of those movies I find myself kind of tearing up when I watch, not necessarily because it's sad or really happy. There's just something about it and kind of about its spirit that I find really, really moving and comforting. Um, and that's, I guess, what I got. I hope you enjoy it um, nearly as much as I do or eventually as much as I do. That's it. Goodbye. Nice. All right. So that's Emily's uh, selection and the reason why she selected it. And uh, we're going to talk about it here. Um, let's see. Let me get the, uh, plot synopsis up because I'm rusty. I'm sitting here, uh, <laughs> don't have it up at all, of course, because I'm a rusty bastard. Let me see here. Better rusty bastard than rusty trombone. Yeah, that's true. I'm, uh, here we go. Last night, Don McKellar. Plot synopsis is, as such, a group of very different individuals with different ideas of how to face the end come together as the world is expected to end in six hours at the turn of the century. Again, remember, this film was made in 1998. So uh, this was, you know, during that heyday and then, of course, also before Y2K and uh, Chris Jericho. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The... uh, yeah, so that's the basic plot synopsis. So I'm gonna, let's let's talk about it. I wanna, I'm curious as well your thoughts on this one too. So let's do let's get into it. <clears throat> okay, let me take a swig of water um, before I start talking. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really cool pick by Emily. I'd seen this film before. Being Canadian, um, there was a time in the '90s and early 2000s, and McKellar's films played at TIFF and. I would read the Toronto Star and the write-ups for the films, and I always got very excited to see his films when they'd come out at Rogers Video, which is our local, um, you know, was our local chain. That and, and Blockbuster, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd seen this back. Gosh, um, I don't know. Probably, well, now thirteen, fourteen years ago, maybe more. Um, so it, it's funny how much time goes on yeah. and how quickly it goes. Um, and I've always had a soft spot for McKellar. I wish he worked more. He's he's got a pretty accomplished career as a as an actor as well. A lot of people would have, and I'm, I'm sure Emily of, of keen eye would have known this, but he um, he has a pretty prominent role in the Morales film from a few years ago, Blindness. Yeah, yeah. yeah as, I think he was, I think he also worked with De Palma. I think he did the narration for Redacted. So. Yeah, so he's you know he's got some you know, some he's clearly some people that like what he does that are talented and I think he's talented. I wish he worked more. I haven't seen his film Child Star that he directed in uh, the two thousands, but I'm a big fan of McKellar. Um, 
And it's as, as a result of this film, I mean, you know, he alongside people like Adam McGoyan and Cronenberg, Bruce McDonald, uh, Denny Arcand, uh, Denny Villeneuve, he, uh, uh, Xavier Dolan, he's, I think, you know, sometimes we forget that there's a lot of great directors in Canada. Yeah. Um, I always confuse, I was telling you, and I can't remember the name of it. I meant to look it up. You, I, you forgot to mention that he did play the, uh, he played the, the director too in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Which was a nice, a pleasant cameo. A nice surprise for me to see. Yeah. Um, but I always, you know, confuse this with this this kind of '90s office slacker comedy from Canada around the same time that um, features three office workers who make a bet to see who can live in their office building the longest because their office building connects to a. Uh, via a tunnel to a mall so for a long time I, I would in a way kind of mix the two up but um yeah I mean, not only i think uh uh emily had said um talking about a who's who of canada you know mckeller and sandro callum keith rennie who's really well loved here of course i would say our girl your girl sarah Pauly, oh yeah uh cronenberg uh, arsene uh kanjian who um as much as I've read her name in print over the years, I've never said it aloud. So, she uh, she plays the mother on the the uh, streetcar. Yeah. Now, she is Adam McGoyan's wife. Most people would know her from Fat Girl. The um, she's the mother in that as well. Yeah, she has a very distinctive. Uh, for those of you who don't like heavy eyebrows on a female, and I'm talking <laughs> talking to you, Large William. Yeah, I uh, she really <laughs> has a heavy brow. <laughs> she does. She she has a look. It's um yeah, it's good act, good actress, but not um She's Lebanese. Oh no, she's Armenian, I believe, isn't she? Uh, well yeah, she could be. Yeah, but I mean I know she's born in Lebanon. I know that. Uh, I, remember... I would I would bet you that she is um Well, I think uh, Ar- isn't a Goyan uh he's Armenian? Yeah, he's Armenian, isn't he? he- well, here's the thing. The reason I know she's Armenian, even if she was born in Lebanon, is this: is, you can you can take this to the bank. If someone has an I A N at the end of their name, yeah, that's they true. are they are Armenian. <laughs> I mean, that's true. a fact. That Every is. Armenian has I A N, or in some cases, like in Nagoyan's case, an A N. But ninety percent of the time, it's I A N. Nice. I could show you my friend list on Facebook. You'll see every Armenian has. <laughs> I A N. Nice. So that's that's how I know that. But she could have been more in Lebanon. Certainly, there was some strife in Armenia. But I'm not smart enough to talk about the uh, Armenian genocide, so I won't. I, that was bef- w- much earlier than her, anyway. But regardless, I didn't even uh, know. I just found out that Adam McGoyan was born in Cairo. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Born there you Egypt. go. There you go. Um, and then it also has um, one of the first Canadian actresses to get it. Not the first, but in the '70s, she she got a lot of acclaim. Uh, Jean-Vierre Bujold. A Quebecois actress who, uh, you know, she worked a lot in Hollywood and and did some European work. Uh, yeah, nice little turn from her on this, with, too. Uh, so it, I think she worked with Clint, didn't she? She worked on a film with Clint. Yeah, and she also did... Uh, Tightrope. Tight What's that? Tightrope. It's a good Clint film. I like that film. Tightrope. I have that. I bought it for two or three bucks on DVD. It's a good one. Yeah. I got to get around to it. It's very sleazy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um and it also, where was I going? Uh, well, you talked about her, and then you talked about you can already talk about somebody else. I think. Oh, just I just echo what Emily said. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't have your boy Stephen. Uh, Steve, is it Stephen McCaddy? No, yeah, it doesn't have McCaddy, but it does have Bruce McDonald in a cameo. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's got it's got a lot of Canadian faces, man. There's no doubt about that. Bruce McDonald rocking a uh, leprechaun kind of baseball fury look. Oh, I know, I know. It's so awful. It's so '90s. It's a like Clockwork Orange sort of baseball fury. It's really awful. Um, it, 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 it almost the scene is almost like the the moment when the GGTMC rides into the film and then it rides out. <laughs> <laughs> the three yeah. characters known as Wild Guy One, Two, and Three. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, this is a film, you know, post Y two K. That um, as we talked, I think we talked about recently, millennial fears in films. We talked about it with the uh, the um, Spanish film we did, uh, Mark of the Beast, Mark of the Devil. Um, Fuck, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, the one with Josh. Um, but Millennial Fear is 98. This is right on the cusp of it, right? So uh, it was interesting for me to see a Canadian perspective on that. And this, this film does feel very Canadian. And I and I say that affectionately, not not in sort of a littlest hobo beachcombers way, but just in terms of um, its aesthetic and its sentiment, it does feel very Canadian. And I, I won't hide the fact that that... Um, certainly endears it to me, you know, being a Canadian. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are name-checked that I'll bring up that really, they mean something to me. It'd be, and I went to ask you, like, I wonder how this film would affect you if it took place in Louisville and, and had people that were predominantly, like, if it was made in the 70s with Warren Oates and Pam Greer and, yeah. you know, all these people, if it would maybe mean a little more to you, perhaps. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, I would think so, maybe. Um I still think this this film really worked for me too, even though it was you know very Canadian. Uh, I still had a real a real sense. Of, I don't know if it's the direction. I think it is because I think that one of the most the one one of the best things about this film is the writing and the mm-hmm. direction. And uh, not that the direction has any flair or anything. It's it's pretty simple, but uh, the way this film develops relationships, I can see where this film would mean a lot to some people. Uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm certain there's films like this in my life that take place where I'm from and are nearby. Unfortunately for Louisville, most of the films that were shot here seem to be either comedies or horror films. <laughs> so, or black exploitation. <laughs> yeah, a lot of black exploitation shot here, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I was, I didn't know, uh, Francois Gerard, the other wild guy, the guy, I think the guy driving the car was, I, I didn't know he was the director of the red violin and, uh, 32 films about Glenn Gold. Oh, I've never seen Glenn Gould, man. I that's one of those you know, I always saw on the shelves and just never got around to. Yeah, I didn't know he was the director of that. I mean, there's a lot of just like Canadian uh you know, just a lot of important people to Canadian cinema in this film, just period. A lot of people you'd see at the Gemini Awards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's a lot of pan- a lot of pancakes on set. <laughs> Craft service didn't have much to do for this one, man. Yeah. Get get the get the uh, the pancake batter out. You're good to go, man. Yeah. Um, Bringing jugs of pancake batter in. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just have this image of somebody making pancakes at craft services and David Cronenberg looking at them quizzically, like you know, yeah. is that a yeah. hair in my pancake? Um, I like uh, I like that this is. Um, this is an end of the world film that it happens after everyone's come to terms with it being the end of the world. Yeah. There isn't the hysteria, the, you know, the rioting and, you know, the post-apocalyptic or pre-apocalyptic kind of chaos that you get in a lot of films because most films wouldn't, they don't focus on this when everyone's going to come to terms with it. And now 
they have to just kind of live out their final hours because th- this movie starts at 6 p.m. on the last day of Earth. Yeah. yeah. So very cool. It's very cool. Um, very Canadian in the way that Sandro goes into the store and it's kind of empty and um, the shelves are empty. It's just very orderly though, and I don't know. It just um, seems with her kind of debating what wine she's going. Of of the, the slim pickings that are left, which wine she's going to choose to drink on her, you know, because it's the last, you know, one of the last indulgences she's going to have. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like that moment. Um, and I like the sign. There's a lot of subtle sort of um, sort of dry humor, like the sign in the window of the store, everything must go. Yeah. I mean, I think it holds true for once. Everything must go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I like the scenes of uh, the the way he establishes, you know, it's not post-apocalyptic. you got to remember it's right before, quote-unquote, the apocalypse. So I like that they can establish the, uh, he uses, a, it's a very smart trick of like this, you know, taking an empty building and making it look disheveled like the little grocery store that Sandro goes to. Uh-huh. And I like that she's just like looking around for stuff and you just get this sense of the craziness that's coming. Um uh, I kind of like that, you know. It, it almost feels like a prelude to like any post-apocalyptic film. Yeah, like I was sitting there thinking, I was like, okay, well, this guy will end up being so and so in Mad Max, and this guy will be yeah. like so and so in in this film because that's what it feels like. It feels like you got some younger people who, you know, kind of see or seeing it kind of as a party, mm-hmm. which is really a theme that I really enjoy mostly about the film is that this is not really a a negative look. At the apocalypse, it's more of a life-affirming look. Yeah, it's a human look. I mean, it, it's something that I think it because let's face it, if it's the end of the world, that means it's 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 the end of life. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's people looking at the end of their life and how they choose they they control how they're going to spend their last day on Earth and who they're going to spend it with and what right. they're going to do and how they're going to leave this world. Right. So it is very important stuff. It's all. It's just fascinating to me to see neighborhoods like. Um, some of the stuff was shot around Oakwood and Rogers, which is predominantly like a Jamaican, uh, Jamaican and kind of island um, neighborhood. Some of the it's just it's interesting to see that in film and to hear them constantly name check things like Muskoka, which is cottage country, which ironically Kurt Russell and Goldie have a really nice spread on Muskoka. Oh, nice. That, that's where I think Scott's story about um, Salma Hayek came from was Muskoka as well. Nice. Um, so you're, you know, Nathan Phillips Square, Mel Lastman Square. These are places that we go as, as Torontonians for New Year's Eve or for figure, not figure skating. I don't figure skate <laughs> for skate for skating. Nice. Um, yeah, my it's like a, everybody's out there skating and you're out there doing pulling a Scott Hamilton, like doing yeah, like a little. <laughs> got, got the work in the toe pick. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we're just hearing all this stuff name checked again. It just, it's, it's nice that it's. Much like Cronenberg, it, it it's not trying to be Chicago. He embraces that it's Toronto, just like uh, just like with Sarah Polly, man. And um, in the film she did uh, that you really liked and I liked, not as much as you, but still liked uh, last year um, with Seth Rogen. Oh, oh yeah, the last waltz. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, it doesn't hide that it's Toronto. It embraces that it's Toronto, which yeah. is, was really great. Um, what does this say? Uh, oh, and I, I love McKellar shows up to his his parents' house, and it's kind of this, you know, awkward 
a little bit of lame New Year's Eve vibe with with all, you know the old people and you know the, but then there's the sweet aspect of it with which feels real you know it feels like you know McKellar observed a lot of family ritual and family tradition and and um, some of the neuroses of families and the dynamics of the people in, in families and the way the stockings that him and his sister played by Sarah Pauly get is they get these boxes of kind of keepsakes to look through. So of one last trip down memory lane, I really liked that. Yeah. No, that was cool. It's a nice touch. You know, it's like, uh, it almost feels like, uh, trying to get like clear some stuff out of the, the parents' house, but at the same time, just a reminder of the life you lived. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it feels, um, like a love letter to like, it feels like it's not disparaging towards, families or family dynamic like it just you know it's observational of some of the absurdities of family but it never feels cynical about the family dynamic which some people would would have um i gotta say i wonder how if your your um your blood pressure rose seeing alex macking on your lady (laughs) (laughs) um i love uh much like uh KAB Radio Antonio Bay. I love having a sort of Greek chorus esque narrator on the radio. They just kind of comes in and out of the film. It could be consequential or inconsequential, but just to have that kind of through line of a of radio DJ's voice interspersed into scenes of the film really works for me. Yeah, because um, they're counting down the top five hundred songs of all time. Yeah, it's like easy listening though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it totally is. <laughs> um, I love that in typical underwhelming Canadian fashion, we flip over a car. <laughs> it's ridiculous. An AMC pacer at that. Yeah, it was a pacer. I couldn't remember the name of it, man. Like, fuck, I know this car. Yeah. <clears throat> Poor Sandro. Um, How do you feel about Sandro? Um, I think she gets shit on too much. People always say she's ugly. Yeah, and I'm like, man, she's not that bad. No, I don't think she's ugly. <clears throat> Nor do I. Nor do I. And I think she has a, I think she has, um, I mean, she's not a pretty crier. No, but, no, but who is but Brad Pitt isn't either. So yeah, crying is not a, yeah. a pretty act. No, it's, it's, not. It's, it's ugly. It is ugly. And you get to, you know, it, it, it just, uh, yeah, it doesn't really work, but, I, I like her, and I think she's a good actress, and I wish she worked more, and I'm glad she got a really great turn in Sideways. Um, thankfully, because Clay and Emily and I were talking about this on my page on Facebook, thankfully I've never seen even 30 seconds of Grey's Anatomy, so I don't have any disdain for her. I, I love her, man. I I wish she worked more, but the problem is she's a, an Asian, a visible minority, and she's not a a sex bot, so she doesn't get a lot of choice roles in Hollywood. It's unfortunate because she's a very good actress. Mm-hmm. She is. She is a very good <clears> actress. <throat> I've seen her in quite a few things I've liked. <clears throat> yeah, me too. Um, uh, the 90s, bowling shirts. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say that I owned a few bowling shirts. I'd be lying too if I didn't say... <laughs> That you owned a few bowling shirts. No. Oh, no. come on. Don't front. No, I, I owned a few bowling shirts. Um, and it's one of those things where I was like, man, those shirts look fucking cool. I need to go out and get some of those shirts. Oh, yeah. I thought they were so fucking cool, man. <laughs> oh, and I just like the 60s kind of Ward Cleaver shirts. I rocked a lot of those in the 90s, too. Nice, nice. Oh, man. <laughs> um, 
just as a side sort of a thought I'd had was, you know, we get the scenes with Callum Keith Rennie and before his character gets fleshed out, you just think he's this guy who's going to have sex with a hooker on his last day on earth. And he has this, um, this black hooker comes in and, and I, you know, and I think to myself, how sad must it be to be a hooker or she's not a hooker. We find out afterwards, or is she a hooker? I can't remember because there's, there's some reveals with his character and his motivations that maybe she is not everyone that he meets is, but, uh, maybe she is, but how sad must it be to be a hooker on the last day on earth? <laughs> yeah, it really, it's really tragic, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and I, I love, she says to him, I just want to have an orgasm today. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Um, we see the red rocket, which is our TTC, our Toronto transit, uh, streetcars and buses, which is cool. There's a scene in this film with Sandra O walking down, a, a, a an abandoned downtown street. You've actually walked down that street. It was King street. Oh, nice. So the street where it's kind of the shot, it's kind of medium and it has a big expanse behind her of the city that you've walked on that you and I did about two in the morning after one of our screenings <laughs> when, we, when we couldn't remember where the underground parking we parked in. Oh yeah. I remember that. <clears throat> yeah. So we were Sandra O for a moment. Um, <laughs> who was carrying think, the one and who was carrying the little briefcase. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, I love, you know, McKellar's great at, um, he's, he's great at, at getting uh, subtle but sincere uh, turns from his actors. But I think he's also really great with dialogue because I love the, the Pete Seeger, Mitch Miller exchange between uh, him and Sandra O. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it feels real, and in an age of everyone trying to do showy Tarantino-esque dialogue, it feels very real. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I think the, some of my favorite things about this film is the dialogue, the kind of talking. They feel like conversations people would probably have if the world was coming to an end. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Jean-Vierre Bujol, I think she she's cooking it up a little bit, and I love that our expectations are turned a few times in that scene because there's a scene when you think she's something to Callum Keith Rennie's character and then you think she's something else and then it's revealed she's something else. So just the way it's kind of plays their expectations. Um, again, another another crime, another fashion crime. I used to wear my collar outside my suit. Much like Callum Keith <laughs> nice. Rennie does in this. Nice. I got a few pictures of that. It's uh, what a time. Um, <laughs> but the scene with him and Jean-Via Bujold... Again, I love that scene because he feels very nervous. It feels very real. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, no, it, it it does feel very real. And I like that, uh, you know, that's one of his uh, fantasies. Mm-hmm. Of course, his, you know, his room of fantasy is insane. But, it is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those, like, uh, low-budget uh, set-piece type moments. It works quite well, and I think it's... I think again, there's there's a bit of reality in it because I think there are people that would be like that. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. There's a lot of people, you know, and it's um, it's great. It, and you know what else feels real, which I'm glad it bucks the trend. And I think it's almost kind of um, it's playfully ribbing the convention of of the car hot wiring because Don McKellar's like, okay, which car do you want? <laughs> and he bumbles around and he just he can't hot wire a car, which you know in films, of course. You just rub those two wires together until yeah. they spark, right? Yeah, I was sitting there thinking while he was doing it. I was like, remember, dude, it's the two red or the two, you know, the two blue. Hell, I don't know what it is either. But in the films, it's just, you know, rub those two together. It's like, and it just starts. Yeah. And then they go, man. <laughs> um, 
there's the character. She's it's sadly she's she she'd passed now. She passed pretty young. I think she had um, prostate cancer. No, prostate colon cancer. Prostate cancer. Pancreatic. Pancreatic cancer. That was Dom Keller's wife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's in uh, that film Trigger that I wanted to see. I think the Bruce McDonald film. Mm-hmm. And I never got around to seeing it. And it's still kind of you know on my list of shame to see because I've heard really good things about the acting in it. The the, the two leads. And I remember as soon as I saw her, I remember thinking, "Man, I just still need to see Trigger." <laughs> yeah, I got to check it out too. Um, but I, I like her character. That you know, she's one of these people that doesn't really have anything in her life emotionally. She's one of those people that does stay at work almost until the very end. Yeah. And her small rebellion is knocking everything off her desk because there's some people that mm. conform so much to the institutional. Um, norms and expectations and and rules of sort of institution and order that there there would be people like that yeah yeah and then when you find out what you find out about her later on in the film which i don't want to give away yeah uh, it all kind of fits into the character a little bit Mm -hmm. no absolutely um the scenes between her and cronenberg are really sweet too yeah they are they're really good i like david cronenberg as an actor i think you have to work well as an actor yeah, he's really good as an actor, man. He's really good. Um, he's a bit dry sometimes. I'll give him that. But, yeah, he is. But I, I think he just, I don't know, he really carries himself well in front of a camera. And and he just, uh, I don't know, he just feels real for some reason. No, I agree. I don't know that he could anchor a, a, you know, a whole <laughs> film, but as a supporting role, he's, he's good. Yeah. Um, there's a really poignant reveal with Sandra O's character. Yeah. But really, you know, and again... You get philosophical about what you're able to do, and what her and her husband did was as much as they could do, considering the the circumstances of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Right? It just again poignant the things you think about because when you see some exchanges between characters, I really like because again it feels like the, you you know you're seeing these hopes and dreams of of people in front of you, and it's not done in an overly demonstrative kind of um, hysterical way. <clears throat> yeah. Um I really love really love the uh the odd exchange between uh <laughs> McKellar and his high school friend Menzies, who's a Bronson Pinchot Crisp- Crispin Glover love child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This guy, what a kookaroo, man. And uh it's great when they when they meet up and uh he says, I got my piano recital finally and Here's two tickets just in case you want to make it. And and uh, it's a really funny scene because, uh, well, I'll get to it in a minute, but it, it's just odd. And, um, you know, whatever, it, it just works for me because, you know, he ends up seeing that guy from high school, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which everyone has, you know, a few guys like that from high school. Yes, we all do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just some kind of throwaway lines that are really, really great, too, like Rennie. I think um, McKellar is trying to appeal to Rennie to do something. He says, come on, man, this is important. And he's like, well, everything's important today. And I like that because it's true. I mean, everything you do, I mean, that's every minute in that day counts. Yeah, every second. I mean, there's no second. If you know the end is coming, every single second counts. I love McKellar's question to Rennie. What about bestiality? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When they're in his his room there. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> here's a trip. There's a building. There's a, it's this scene that has these hookers. There's a building with these hookers in front. That's literally two minutes from my office. Nice. <laughs> I, I, it's so strange because I was watching this. 
at my office and then looking and it's like I fucking pass this every day. So it was kind of kind of odd. Um was it, uh, was it the good, the bad, and the odd? <laughs> <laughs> I always want to say that now. Yeah, no, I know. I, I play that break just so, you know, because me and you always are doing that off the air. <laughs> Swear you listen to the good, the bad, the odd. I love that shit. <laughs> That's great, man. Um, there's a really, really funny and really awkward proposition in this film, and it's qualified with the line, well, it wouldn't include anal sex. I've already had that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very funny. And that scene has a, my favorite. Or the scene that I the the line that I laughed out loudest at was McKellar says, "I forgot to tell you, I saw Menzies around the corner. I'm sure he'd be game." Yeah, <laughs> really good. Um, <laughs> it seemed. I'm glad I wasn't the only. Looking back, hindsight now, I'm glad I wasn't the only Canadian wearing a vintage leather jacket in the '90s. Yeah, <laughs> seems like we all had a penchant for those. Yeah, a Bronson penchant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a weak joke right there. No, it was all right, man. It was well timed. Um, uh, just some of the stuff that weaves in and out of the film, like Polly saying to Alex, her boyfriend, "Oh, I thought that was a friend of my brother's. He used to collect cars like that." <laughs> just some, if you pay attention, some of the kind of running jokes in the film. Uh, Randy fucking Bachman, ugh, fart noise, taking care of business. <laughs> the worst. Oh. <laughs> and I'm so tired of him and that song. I, I can't tell you how often we have to hear that on the radio. Oh, man. It's horrible. I can't believe we didn't get any uh, Dan Hill on the radio station, <laughs> man. Hey, speaking of Dan Hill, man, my company's done work for Dan Hill. I know, we talked about that like from episode one. I mean, you talked yeah, about that. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, what else here? Uh, I mean, when I think of Canadian easy listening, Dan Hill is the first thing that oh, comes yeah. to mind for me. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. Uh, Don McKellar again in this bizarre last day on earth. He's given an even more difficult and awkward proposition. Someone wants him to do something for them. It's like, holy fuck, you know, really, uh, Really hard stuff. Um, And I love some of the slow, subtle reveals about McKellar's um, past love life. Yeah. That it it does not kind of bang you over the head and explain right away. Mm -hmm. That over the course of the film, you're given the information. Uh, Had to have been awkward with him having... Actually, I don't want to reveal that. Uh, And I really, really love the last kind of montage with uh, Guantanamera. I really, really like it. No, no, it's really good. It's really, really good. It's a nice, easy effect to show things to. And I like that the very last bit of that, that he holds for a bit. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really touching. It is very, very much so. And the white, I love that it goes, instead of a fade to black, like the the fade to white. I think that really, really is effective. Yeah, it really works. So, yeah. Um, Good to hear what you want to say. All right. Um... You know, well, some of the things I got, the end of the world cinema itself, um, I like it. Obviously, I do like apocalyptic cinema. I mean, I think we all do. I think as human beings, we we all think sometimes what would happen if the world or society, civilization as we know it ended. Uh, sometimes it feels like that anyway, this past week being a grim example uh-huh. of how it can be. Did you see any of those pictures of empty Boston? It was insane. I was, uh, you know, a Friday at work, I was glued to every news outlet, Al Jazeera, 
Reuters, BBC, CNN, Twitter. I mean, I was just even Fox. I was trying to just watch anything I could. Um, I was yeah, just glued to my my computer. Some of those photos people were taking from top of buildings and things like oh, that. Oh, I just know. Insane to see an empty city. I mean, it just it still is bizarre when you see something empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, where life used to be, it it it, it just hits you as a human being. It's it's powerful, and uh, so I think we are all kind of interested in you know our end, so to speak. So, but I but what I like about this one is this one is about the human side of the end, and I like the it's a big epic approach, not an epic approach, an epic story with a subtle approach. Yes, and I, I think that's a very smart thing to do and and really cool. I mean, it really works. Um. I actually like that the the sex stuff really outside of the scene where he's in the room the uh, the crazy room the uh, I think that I like that it's very subtle and low key and, that it, and it feels real yeah and it doesn't hit you over the head you know just like left and right you know one two punches of yeah. uh, what that what that character and what that scene or those scenes could have been yeah they could uh, yeah exactly you know I, they I'm glad that they didn't go that route I mean they 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 kind of eased it back and. And took it as not just sex, but as what, you know, that's how humans connect. Yeah. And sometimes physically, not just mentally. And I like that, you know, there was these scenes of connection, these physical connections. It was mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, <clears throat> it is, I have to say, you know, bravo to Don McKellar. It's a pretty impressive thought process to capture the end of the world as this quiet piece. Um, it's really one of those things where you think why didn't somebody think of this before maybe there is more films like this but i don't recall them off the top of my head um and i gotta say you know it's a shame this one isn't readily available i had to watch this thing online uh through some website (laughs) me too (laughs) it's ridiculous you know it's not even on youtube i know it's 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 hard to come by um i don't know if it i imagine it must have been on dvd i watched it on vhs before this but you have to Google like watch last night online to find it, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it's not a download; it's like a streaming thing. But still, you watch it in seven parts yeah. on a <laughs> site called like Watch Thirty Two dot com or something. Yeah, I know, it's insane. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some films out there that are available, quote unquote, if you wanted to download them. I guess so that uh, you know you think Jesus, there's no way this is out there, and there it is. But this film is next to impossible. To find. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I mean, I'm just saying. That this film isn't more readily available. It's kind of it's one of those little bizarre stories, you know. That it's like, it's, I'm not saying that it's, you know, a masterpiece and that it should be read. I, well, I do think it should be, but I think all films should be readily available. Yes, uh, because I mean, they're our culture, just like books and everything else. I mean, all this stuff should be readily available. Um, that's the way it goes. Uh, I do think you know, out of all the acting, I really do. I like everybody in the film, but I do think Sandro really does stand out. Uh, in in the role she has, uh, yeah, she's good. You she feel really, her worry, right? Yeah, yeah, you really do. And uh, she wears it on her face, and uh, all that stuff. McKellar's great too. Uh, yeah, he is. But I really enjoyed all the Sandro stuff. And I love uh, the dad too. Sorry to cut you off. I love. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The dad's great. Yeah, he is great. I love how he wears his glasses like the dads wear their glasses. You know, <laughs> I have this image of myself in the future where I wear my glasses like that. Sadly. <laughs> <clears throat> Fortunately, or unfortunately, I guess, my vision is so bad, I can't really do that mix thing where I can drop them down and see you, you know? I'm, 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 yeah. uh, I'm nearsighted, not farsighted, so if I if I lower my, I can't see shit, so I got to keep my glasses on almost all the time, but uh, 
those dad, the way dads wear glasses on the end of their nose. <laughs> you know, just look like a dad wear a sweater vest. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love this. I, I love the simple stuff in this film. The uh, the simple rituals too, like the carving of the turkey. Oh yeah, and, you know that's something that's such a cliche, right? But uh, it's important because those are human yeah. rituals. Those are family rituals. Those are things that we remember that are important parts of the important days of our year and the important parts of our lives. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I like the scene with the mom too. I like the kind of bittersweetness of, uh, you know, the kids couldn't wait to open the Christmas presents and now look at him. He arrives an hour late. Yeah, and absolutely. The, and the colors come it's not even Christmas, <laughs> Yeah, I but I mean, it's a simple comment, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's one of those comments where you, you know, me and you were parents. We're we're gonna have that. Those uh-huh. this is reality. As a parent, you have these. You know, you have young boys now. I have a young boy. Every day is daddy, 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 daddy. Well, sooner uh-huh. or later, those days go away. They, Sadly, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. They still love you, but they, you, they, so they don't need you. As yeah, in the same way they do when they're young, and yeah. that's that's why it's important to spend every minute you can with your kids because. Yes. There's going to come a time, yeah, when they, they're more social creatures and they want to spend time with friends and, you know, a New Year's Eve with mom and dad just doesn't happen, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, I can remember being a teenager like, oh, man, I got to fuck. I got to hang out with yeah. mom and dad tonight. <laughs> but yeah. it, it is weird. As you get older, you realize that those little moments in life are, you know, what life is all about. Yeah. <clears throat> and that just comes with age and with time. And we all go through that. We all go through the immaturity of self selfish behavior and then as we get older we realize you know but i think it's a common human trait so it's nothing that it is that anybody that would shock anybody but yeah i don't have a whole lot more notes i mean you covered pretty much everything but it's it is a very good film it's a film i highly recommend and uh sadly you're gonna have to go pretty crazy to have to go out there and try to watch it but yeah people should definitely check it out i mean it's not "Quote unquote GGTMC type material, but I like it when we cover these type of films because we don't, you know, we obviously well we we do it a lot more than we say we do, but uh, uh, it is really really good stuff. It does have, of course, you know, if it is you want GGTMC, I mean, you do get a pacer flipped over and you do get Bruce McDonald in a leprechaun hat, so and, and, and a shirtless marauding <laughs> pack of uh, men, so and Crispin Glover and Bronson Pinchot's love child, yeah. So you do get some GGTMC flourishes, and, and David Cronenberg's in there for good measure too. That's right, <laughs> and some black booty too, man. Yeah, so. and some soulful music to make love to. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so there are some GGTMC elements to the film, but uh, no, let's hear your MVTs, make or breaks. Uh, make or break the scene, the scenes with McKellar and Rennie. Ah oh, man, I really wanted it could have gone with the O and McKellar stuff because it's really, really, really fantastic. And I don't know, I just um, I, I like the stuff that you know, the friendship and and just um, Rennie's reveals about his motivation for the end of the world and and what that means and how he's psyching himself up when he's trying to psych up McKellar and and um, just that dynamic of having friends that are friends despite being different people. Um, I really like that. Yeah, Rennie, uh, Rennie's. I talk. We don't talk a whole lot about Rennie, but uh, man, that guy's got worked a lot over the years. He's worked a lot. He usually plays like the the sh- second or third banana uh, <laughs> as far as like CIA villains, like the shady corporate villain <laughs> yeah. in Hollywood nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's great, and he's great in the film because his character um, could have been a one note Stifler type. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But because of his performance and McKellar's writing and direction, it it's not. It's much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um. 
so that's my favorite. Even though the the final shot of the film is my my favorite shot in the film. Yes. But that final little sequence, like that, you know, twenty thirty seconds, whatever it is. Uh, every T is McKellar. Um, you yes. know, he wrote it, he directed it, he starred in it. Um, I, I think I I I will always have a soft spot for McKellar, and anytime I hear his name, my ears will perk up, and it's always on the strength of this film. Uh, my score is an eight point two five out of ten. Nice. I could I could maybe go an eight point five. It feels a little 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 bit higher, but than I should go. But um, I'm going to say an eight point two five, and I think it's it's a film that when it does become really available, I, I would love to own. I think it's a really great understated um, look at, um, at at the end of the world. Yeah, I really hope they remaster it a little bit too and clean it up a little bit when they release it. You know, but they put a high def one out. Sometimes those. Films like this, sadly, they get released on Blu-ray, and they're only slightly better definition than the DVD yeah. or the VHS. But yeah, uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with that that 15 to 30 seconds you talk about toward the end. I mean, it's really just an emotional wallop, and I really, really mm-hmm. liked it quite a bit. Uh, especially the last like 10 seconds. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant stuff. I love the way that does. Uh, my MVT, McKellar. You know what? I could go either way, but since you gave it to McKellar, I'm going to give it to Sandro. Because uh, I really don't know if she'll ever get an MVT on this show. <laughs> <laughs> McKellar either, really. But, I mean, Sandra yeah. O doesn't really act in the type of films we watch. So no. No. Uh, I doubt, seriously, she'll ever. But, I mean, I, I think we should champion her. I think she's a good actress. I agree. She's if not a, a very, very good actress, yeah, if, if not great. Yeah, if not great. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's gotten roped into some stuff she's into now. But, you know, whatever. True. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Money. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm happy she's successful. because. I agree. Uh, I do think she's an attractive lady. I do think she is a great, well, yeah, close to great actress. And everything I've seen her in, she's been very good. Absolutely. She was, she was good in a film with uh, Diane Keaton called Under the Tuscan Sun. Good film. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I did see that, actually. My dad, I saw it with my dad. But, yeah, she uh, she gives, brings a humanity to her, to her performances that yep. you don't always see in films because people get too much vanity about their roles and what they want to present. But, no, I, I agree. I'm glad you gave it to her because I'm also – I you know, I think she's deserving of much more praise and love as an actress. And my score for the film is just right below yours. It's an 8 out of 10. I think nice. it's a very, very solid film. Uh, definitely recommend, I recommend, everybody should check it out. Uh, I can see why Emily pushes this on people. It's one of those type of movies where it's like, uh, you know, people will be talking about post-apocalyptic cinema, and you're like, dude, have you seen Don McKellar's Last Night? You should definitely check out Don McKellar's Last Night. So We could do a Raiders of Atlantis Last Night double. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Nice. All right. So uh, we usually take a break. We're, we're going to do those. We're going to go right into feedback. we got about 20 minutes here. Knock out some listener feedback. i got some voicemails. you want to do any emails? you want to hold off on those? I mean, um, I would say let's do them, but I think we're, we're pinned for time here. Let me see. Uh, let me see how long the emails are. Maybe I'll knock one or two of them out. Well, i got one here from Red. I want to read this one because Red sent this back on in November. Mm. And Red was the first guy to do win one of our little contests we had. He was the first guy to program. Was he the first guy to program a show? Yeah, he picked uh, Turkish Star Wars and <laughs> I can't remember what, the, what else he picked. <laughs> Something that I, I feel like in hindsight, we you and I talked about this might have been in a rare bad mood, and we both just slammed Turkish Star Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But anyway, Red call. Uh, Red wrote in. Uh, we hadn't heard from him forever. I, I don't really don't think we'd heard from him since that episode. Yeah. He said, uh, "Hi guys, it's been too damn long. I remember when you guys were starting out, and I had to sing whiskey in the jar to influence your movie picks." <laughs> he says he hopes that episode no longer exists. Sorry, Red, it does. He fell off the face of the earth for a little bit. 
uh, to focus on his writing. Yeah, he's got a screenplay called uh, Carnivorous Cannabis about a kid who crossbreeds a Venus flytrap with marijuana. That's caught the attention of a production company. Uh, he also has an ebook, uh, Weight Loss Terrorist, about an obese woman who has uh, to lose weight or a madman will kill her husband up on Amazon. Oh, wow. So uh, definitely check that out, guys. It's up on Amazon. Uh, he says that he loves us and uh, keep doing what we do. And I don't think he would mind because um, the the ebook's online. But I, I believe you can find under his is the author's name. His name William Red. Yes, R E D D. Yes, William Red. So I remember when he sent that email. I thought, man, this sounds rad. Sounds like uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, we got one from Miss Real. Uh, I'll read hers real quick. Uh, Dearest gentlemen, I recently started a new job, so I'm woefully behind on listening to episodes. But I just heard the pod. Uh, where Willie mentioned finally seeing Shane. My husband and I recently caught up with this classic as well. There are two things I wanted to add to to what you both have to said, all of which I agree with. One is that while everyone talks about the romantic tension between Shane and his wife, no one wants to comment on or maybe see the sexual tension between Shane and the farmer. <laughs> the stump pulling scene may be one of the uh, your text of the kind of movie tough guy homoeroticism that reached its pinnacle in the magical year of 87. Will went on hold for a second there. There, he's back. <laughs> they pulled the crap out of that stump and then we're, and were spent in the aftermath. <laughs> Secondly, you mentioned the almighty Jack Palance, who I think Sammy compared to a shark, which is about as good a description as I've heard. Palance is not only a terrifically frightening character, he's also more vivid and alive than anyone else on screen. Not to belittle the many fine actors in the film, but Palance and his character are clearly pointing forward towards the spaghetti western and the more naturalistic Hollywood westerns to come, while all the other actors and characters are pointing back to the classic but less visceral era behind them. Just a few thoughts, and a happy belated New Year from Miss Real. I don't know Miss Real's real name. So. I think she'd said it in once in a previous email, but um, that's crazy because that yeah that's yeah that's a four month old voicemail as well or email. Yeah, I know we got some old emails, so I'm trying to get some of them done because I don't want people to think we. Totally forgot about them. Uh, I think Cody uh, wanted to say happy 200 episodes. It uh, doesn't seem like too long ago that uh, we did the dollars episode for, uh, for episode 100. He remembers F13 and DZ mentioning that the two of you were starting a show of our own. Uh, he said he was using a Zoom at the time, which is an okay device, but its podcast network was less than useful. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a while to track you guys down, but once I did, I was hooked. Episode 7, the one where you covered The Last Dragon, was the first new episode I listened to, and I quickly listened to... The episode that came before it, and I've been around to one degree or another ever since. It's been nearly four years, which seems impossible, and I'm awfully grateful to have come across the show. Getting to know that both of you has been wonderful, and being a part of the community that grew up around your show and your sister shows has been really special. I never thought I'd be some be friends with someone on the internet, but here I am. I hope to make it to Cincinnati or Indy someday so you can meet us and uh, talk to a bunch of cool people, he says. so thanks. I really hope Cody makes it. Yeah, because he's not. I, I think he'll make it sometime. So yeah, he's great, man. He uh, really great dude. Yeah, and we're coming up on five years now. Yeah, no, it's insane, man. Crazy, and it's crazy how technology and the way we acquire films and and everything else has really changed from when you and I started the show. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's insane. It really is. It's so <coughs> sorry. It's so easy to get a hold of the show now, whereas in the beginning, I remember roadmap, <laughs> roadmap, and having to look for stuff, all kinds of craziness. So yeah. The streaming technology alone since we started the show. That's insane. That's right there. If you think about where the streaming was before we started and where it is now, oh. it's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, it really is. All right, let's do some voicemails here. Uh, this one's from uh, Germany, I believe. Waterworld feedback. Pretty cool. Nice, yeah. Hey, gentlemen, this is Thomas from Heidelberg in Germany. First time feedbacker. 
Um, your last recent show on uh, Waterworld inspired me to run to the shop and buy the thing, and I really enjoyed rewatching that. I love the anarchic energy that it has, especially in the moments when the tone shifts to a more darker mood and has a lot of violence and this really twisted, creepy aspects of, of the character of the Mariner that come up at, until the middle of the movie. <laughs> Um, I think the an anarchy and the energy is also reflected by the camera work. It has this Peter Jackson-esque uh, handheld wide lens camera that is very dynamic and uh, yeah. not as static or as stylized as in many, in many blockbusters. Uh, I was surprised nobody mentioned the vehicle. I just loved that thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's certainly no Millennium Falcon, but it has so many gadgets and it's so cool and has a character. So I was really sad when it was destroyed in the end. Uh, yeah, I love the note that uh, there's a, it looks like Jurassic Park in the end. And I don't know if you know that film Deep Rising by Stephen Summers, that actually picks up that, exactly that idea. What I found very amusing were the environmental references, which really makes sense because the movie is set after an environmental disaster. Um, most notably, the oil tanker. There is a framed picture of a former captain in the background called Joseph Hazelwood, and uh, Hopper uh, calls him Saint Joe. At one point, he drinks to him, and uh, he promises the end of quote um, years of shame. And this is not explained to the audience directly, but later on, when the oil tanker sinks, you can see the name of the ship, and it's called Exxon Valdez. And that oh, is, wow. of course, um, the oil tanker that sank at the end of... Uh, it didn't sink, actually. At the end of the 80s, it, uh, it was shipwrecked outside the coast of Alaska and called a, caused a major oil spill. Bar um, environmental disaster. And the reason oh, yeah. for the accident was actually... Joseph Hazelwood, the captain at the time, was pissed. Yep. Um, the only thing that really bothered me was um, a typical 90s thing, and I think it's also an 80s thing, leaving villains for dead, thinking they are dead, without checking it. And, of course, they'll come back after five minutes to bother you. Yes. And this happens twice in this movie within five minutes, uh, which was really annoying. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a great movie, a lot of fun, amazing stunt work. Amazing set pieces and uh, yeah, very enjoyable. Absolute recommend. Well, thanks for the great show. I'm looking forward to working myself through your back catalog. Goodbye. Nice. It's always cool to hear from like you know other countries like that. His English is very good. It's amazing, and it always boggles my mind that you know Denmark and Norway and Sweden and Finland and Iceland and all these places, Germany. That their English is so good, and I could couldn't string together a sentence in their languages. <laughs> I know, I know, it's insane. It'd it's just be an insult. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me uh, let's play another one here. So, thanks, Thomas. We appreciate that. I'm glad people are getting into Waterworld. Yes. I mean, it's not a masterpiece, but I mean, it, it didn't well, deserve the uh, yeah, it didn't deserve the critical panning again. No. All right, let's get this one. Let's see this guy, gentlemen. This. Is Dr. Zom. <laughs> hey guys, uh, I'm just heading home from work and I just wanted to call the gentleman's guide to Midnight Cinema and tell him that I'm feeling rock solid and awesome, baby. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dig it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's when you know you've reached. Uh, I remember F13 and DZ talking about that. You kind of know when you've reached a kind of a a plat, a, kind of a, a pinnacle. I think in podcasting when uh, you uh, when your com when your feedbackers are commenting on other feedback. 
<laughs> yes. So, so Sylvan Goat should be proud of themselves. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they got celebrities commenting on each other all the time. Multiple celebrities. All right, let's get a couple more knocked out here. And- hey, gents, it's Scott calling. Um, just want to say, really been enjoying the shows recently. I know you got a lot of feedback to get through, so I'll keep this very short. First, I think Justin mentioned the island, Michael Richie's The Island. Yeah, you should see that. You should cover it. I watched it for the first time a few months back. Uh, I had always known about it, seen bits and pieces of it here and there. It's just bonkers. It's just so bonkers. So much fun. Michael Caine is just awesome in it. Uh, and there's just in, it's some insane violence, some crazy acting, and what's essentially an homage to the Wild Bunch at the end. Uh, so check it out. It'd be nice. fun for you guys to cover it. I totally agree with Justin. Second of all, Japanese tourists, Coffin Blue Jeans. This is all secondhand. I don't know if any of this is true, but I used to travel a lot, backpacking a lot back in the 90s. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what I had heard was a lot of Japanese companies, as a bonus or whatnot, give families vacations, uh, travel around the world. So this is where you see these, these tour buses in, in Ireland and France, wherever. And it's almost expected, or the, uh, the tourists feel obliged to document their trip so that they can take this back to their office to show them that they enjoy the trip, you know. Uh, <laughs> so this is why you'll see people posing uh, over yeah, the cultural thing. More in, in, in Ireland in front of the Eiffel Tower or whatnot. So they can take these pictures back to their bosses and management and say, hey, we did it. We enjoyed the trip. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what kind of boss you have if you are going to <clears throat> take pictures of a dude taking a dump. Uh, interesting job. Uh, I know there's some tricky places to work in, in Japan, but I just don't know. Uh, again, this is all secondhand. That, that well, may or may not. In the internet age, I think we know. When I've seen the call of blue jeans. I'm wondering who the hell are they going to show these pictures to. Uh, I've never made my way through the whole movie. I own it. I own a terrible, terrible print in it that I turn off after 15 minutes because I just can't stand it. So maybe uh, I should pick this one up because yeah, that one uh, went the, bad. The shots of Milian on the motorcycle are probably enough uh, reason to own it anyway. Yeah. So keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Nice. Yeah, the uh, the print we had on that DVD is not bad. Not nearly as bad as what he's talking about, I'm sure. I mean, there's no way. Yeah. Cause Ours is a rare old video one. Yeah. Good stuff. But yeah, you know, the, the dump pictures, yeah, nowadays you could probably figure out where those go. <laughs> Yes, I want to tell everyone again, I want to implore them, to, if you, you're not listening to Married with Clickers, you need to really, really, really um, do so. I think they have one of the best shows that is is flying under the radar. Yes, indeed. That's a good show, man. All right, we'll get into, we'll get into pleasantries. We'll play some more feedback next time around. We don't, sure. have, we don't have a whole big backlog anymore. We, we're pretty much caught up. We got a few. So if you didn't hear it this time, we got a couple from, you know, we got one from Demise, a couple from Cody. Another one from Zom and stuff, but I think Will and I both would like to take a power nap before the children wake up. (laughs) I have to go on a a scavenger hunt in downtown Toronto today. Ooh, is it cold up there? Yeah, it's about uh, 1646. That's going to be the high today. Yeah, it's in the 50s here, so it's pretty cool, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually 10 years today that I met my wife. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I saw that on uh, the Facebook. Nice. Congratulations. Happy anniversary, baby. I love you. Here's to a hundred more. That's exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, we're going on a scavenger hunt, sort of like that show. What's that sh- that reality show? Um, the uh, the game. I don't know where they go around. Amazing race. Amazing race is kind of like that. Nice. So yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, 
Check out our, speaking of fun, check out our sister show, Sylvan Gold Show Show, Milk Creeps. Check out our favorite man from Northern Ireland, Brian on Hamicus, rapidly approaching 100 episodes. Check out Feminine Critique, where Emily programmed uh, this week's show, a podcast on honor and humanity, Cine Awesome, Action Attraction, the aforementioned Married with Clickers. They're on Facebook. Join their Facebook group. Get involved. They, like I said, they got a great show. Um, as I always like to say, it's a great husband and wife show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Glee cast, Paleo Cinema, the Movie Night podcast on fire. Uh, doing yeoman's work, as always. Uh, Film Rave, 35mm Heroes, Jim Circle vs. Punter, NOTLP, The Big Red Podcast, Double Page Spread. If you're into comic books, that's the that's the joint right there. Uh, Better in the Dark, Criterion Cast, The Projection Booth, Mondo Film, Love That Album, Movie Matchup, Movies About Girls, A Man, A Kid, A Pony, Trick or Treat Radio. Get ready for it. The good, the bad, the odd. And swear. <laughs> the Gorepress Gorecast. Check out ParisCinema.net and swear to get a subscription. Yeah. <laughs> TV. Check out Pensacon. Might be seeing Goblin at Pensacon. Nice. Um, we are Young Monster. Teleport-City.com for all your cocktail, sartorial, and film needs. Following are all.blogspot.com, the GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, A Knife in the Head, Fist of B List, uh, Cinema Gonzo, Playground of Doom, Shiftless and Shasta, Far Reaching Films, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, Lily Maniac, uh, and then check out uh, the Death Rattle.net, LightningBugsLayer.com, The Hero Never Dies, Freaking Awesome Network. Did I mention Film Rife above? If I didn't, then check out Film Rife Justin's show. Feed My Ears on Facebook. Um, Region Incognito. Check out DiabolicDVD.com. Cinema-DE-Bazaar.com. OMG-Entertainment.com. The Mighty Camera Obscura. Join our Facebook group. Check us all out on Twitter, which I'm not going to go into. Um, well, backslash GGTMC and Large William and the rest of our friends. And iTunes reviews would be greatly appreciated. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> All right, so next week we got a uh, special episode. Uh, we will be interviewing one Lauren Avedon. Uh, is that how you say his last name? Avedon? Yeah, Lauren Avedon, the king of the kickboxers. Yes, the king of the kickboxers. We'll be reviewing, uh, interviewing him, uh, which we're both really looking forward to, with our good friend Carl Bresden. Uh, who's never been on the show before. We've been in communication with Carl for years, uh, but I've never actually talked to him. So, I mean, Amazing person. Vocally, with anyway. Encyclopedic knowledge of Zubaz panted, <laughs> pants. Yeah. Henchman. Yeah, and fanny packs. But, yeah, uh, yeah so it's going to be awesome to talk to Carl and uh, interview Mr. Evadon. And then also we're going to be reviewing uh, with uh, Carl, the king of the kickboxers, with uh, Lauren Evadon and Billy Blanks. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is next week's show. Uh, we hope everybody has a blast listening to it. We are very anxious to. We we love doing the interviews. Sadly, we don't get to do them as much as we'd like to because mm-hmm. of our schedule and our schedule is really wacky. So we have to ask people really crazy times to do interviews with them. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why you don't hear as many as we'd like to do. But uh, yeah, one day, one day we'll get some more of them done. We still got a couple yeah. lined up that are pretty awesome. If we can just get them worked out. Uh, amen. <laughs> 
but that's going to be the big show next week. Uh, and with that, I guess I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 